good morning. Excited to be here today. Amen, amen. You could be anywhere else, but you chose to be here, and that is such an encouragement to me, and I pray that today will be an encouragement to you. I just believe that God has something for us every time we gather together, that there is freedom, there's healing, there's hope, there's encouragement. Everything that we've been lacking throughout the week, God has prepared for us. I don't know how many times it's been in my own life when I felt like, man, I just don't feel like going today. I just don't feel like going to life group or going to meet with the church. And I do it anyways to realize I needed to be there that day. I needed the word. I needed that encouragement. And so I'm so thankful that on weekends like this, it seemed to be big vacation days that you chose to gather with us today. For those of you that are new, my name is Pastor Joey. I'm the lead pastor here. We're so excited that you chose to spend time with us. We believe everyone matters to God, which means you matter and your story matters. God loves you beyond what words can describe. And I hope that you feel that sense that he speaks that over you today. We're in week two of a new teaching series that we began last week called the 40-Day Fast. And the word fast is an acronym that means fighting amidst Satan's turf. Because the reality is, even for every child of God, that we are not just living a Christian life, but we're also engaged in a spiritual conflict, a spiritual war. We have an enemy that is constantly trying to derail the work of God in the world. Jesus said to his disciples that upon this rock, his name, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that that truth would be the rock that he builds his church upon, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church has a mission, and our mission is to bankrupt hell. That's our mission. And we do that by sharing the gospel and the love of God with everyone we can have opportunity to share with. Every person we lead to faith in Christ is another soul that does not have to suffer the consequences and judgment in hell. It's a huge mission. And we have an enemy who exists to do nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. And everything he does is to stop the church from being the light that we are intended to be. And so with that reality, we began a study on the 40-day fast, the 40 days that Jesus went into the wilderness and fasted and prayed and was really bombarded with temptation and attack from the enemy. And so for these 40 days that we're going to be studying this message through this series, we are coming together and doing what's called a solemn fast. Whereas a church, we are fasting together to ask God, really to lean into God, but to ask him for really four specific things. And I want to share them with you before we get into the message today. The first that we're fasting for, and I sent this out in an email. If you don't have your email uh, updated on our contact list, you can update that on your profile in our uh, church database. If you don't know how to do that, come see me after church and I'll, I'll get you some information. But uh, uh, the first thing we're fasting for is, number one, that God's presence in power would be among us in greater and greater ways every time we gather together. So when we meet at church here on Sunday mornings in this high school auditorium, when we meet for prayer group, when we come together at Celebrate Recovery or at Life Group, we're calling on God to meet with us and to reveal his presence in greater and greater ways. And this is a promise that God has given us. He's promised us to reveal his presence. In Psalm 1611, it says, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. This isn't just a future tense in heaven. 
We believe that we can experience the presence of God here on the earth. Matter of fact, Jesus prayed for when we pray to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The reality for the church is that we don't just live in this physical reality, but we're also living in the spiritual reality of God's presence. And we can encounter his presence every day, every moment. And when God's presence descends on a place, powerful things happen. People get saved. People get healed. People receive breakthrough from their struggles. Things happen. And so we desire to be a place that no matter who walks through the door, they find and can encounter the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Number two, that, and here's more personal. That was corporate. Here's more personal. The second thing we're fasting for is that God would give each of us personally a hunger for him and his presence in a deeper way. It's one thing to talk about his presence being experienced corporately. It's another thing for us to seek it individually every day of our lives. In Psalm 42, verse 1, David writes, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. It's a very poetic passage of Scripture. But if you know anything about deer, who are my hunters in here? We got some hunters in here. I know, I know there's some of you. You feed me well. Thank you, my brothers. But uh, some perks of being a pastor. But the uh, thing about deer is deer don't sweat like humans do. Deer are much kind of like dogs. They sweat by panting. That's how they release heat. And if a deer is trying to escape a predator and it's exerting all of its energy, often what it begins to do is pant to try to release the heat that's generated in its body. And so it has to pant to release that heat. If it doesn't cool down quickly enough, it can be serious, mean serious health concerns for the deer. So often what it will do is look for a place of refreshing, a cool, a cool place to rest or a stream of water. And what David is saying here, he's saying, God, I long for you the way the deer longs for the water brook. When does it long for the water brook? When it realizes that if it doesn't find water, it could mean certain death. It is a desperation. It is a cry in the heart of David. And what I believe should be the cry of the heart for every person that we would so long for God and his presence that it would mean and feel like we're gonna die if we don't experience it. That it should be something that drives us each and every day. Psalm 63, one through eight, David cries out, God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed on your power and glory for your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting my hands to you in prayer. For you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. And just like David, we want to experience the power and glory of God in his sanctuary when the church meets together. But even more so, David says, I hunger and I thirst for you. I hunger and thirst for you. Why? Because I recognize in this world, there is no refreshing. There's nothing I can give myself to in this world because it is a dry and desert land. There is no refreshing. The only place of refreshing I know of that I can find is in the presence of my heavenly Father. We saw last week that the world is a term kind of used for the culture, not just our physical earth, but our culture at large. And all the influences are under the control of the evil one. He's called the God of this world. 
And the only thing this world has to offer us as followers of Christ and believers in Jesus is a mud milkshake. It's a mud milkshake. There's no refreshing. There's no clean water. The, the world provides us the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Everything the enemy tries to bring into our lives, to bring us to our destruction, is what the world offers. And when we give ourselves over to what the world provides, it leads us down a, to a place of difficulty, heartache, and pain. But when we hunger and thirst for the Lord, when we seek Him for our refreshing, for the very nourishment to our souls, for the healing to the pain that we wrestle with in our lives, what we find is a source of living water. So we need to hunger personally and thirst for Him. The third thing we're praying for is that He would fill each of us with His Spirit and give us boldness to preach the gospel and release His presence and power into our communities. In Acts 4.29, the church was gathered together and they prayed this, And now, O Lord, hear their threats. Give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with what? What's that say? With boldness. How many of us in this place preach the word of God with boldness. It's not a very common characteristic among the church. But when the Spirit of God is in you, the love of God is overflowing through you, you preach in boldness. Why? Because you fear not what man thinks. Because you're so overwhelmed with the love of God that it doesn't matter what they think. What matters is that you're releasing what God has done in you and through you into their lives, giving them a chance to receive the same gift that you've been given. So many times I've, I've gone out and I've felt this tug of God on my heart to speak to somebody and you have that instant fear and nervousness. Well, what if I don't know the right thing to say? What if, you know, I say and it's wrong and it just doesn't work out? But when you overcome that and just say, you know, I'm going to submit and obey anyways. Holy Spirit, fill me. And you step out in faith, you realize it's not as scary as it seems. And you open an opportunity for God to do a miracle in somebody else's life. And often the miracle is done in you because it increases your faith when you see what God can do. We're praying to be filled with the Spirit so that we're all given the boldness to preach and release the power of God. We seek to be Spirit-filled followers of Christ, driven by love, and then through love, we share and demonstrate the gospel. And fourthly and lastly, if we are seeing the manifest of presence of God in our gatherings, if we're seeking his presence in our lives with a hunger that cannot be quenched, if we're being filled with the Spirit, preaching with uh, the word of God with boldness. Number four, what we're praying for is that our numbers here would continue to grow. Why? Because the more we have, the greater impact we can make. The more people we have with us, that gather with us, that encounter God with us, that we grow together with, the greater the impact we can make. And we're getting ready to enter what many pastors call the summer slump, where many people tend to be gone for three months here or there because of vacations and whatnot. But I believe that if we encounter the presence of God, if we're seeking the presence of God, then it's not gonna be easy to disconnect from the church. It's not gonna be easy to disconnect from one another, but rather we're gonna be hungry for what God's gonna do next. We're gonna be hungry to experience what God is gonna do, and we're gonna be hungry to see others in our lives have the same encounter. And my prayer is found in Acts Chapter 4, after the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 4.33, and this has been my prayer this week, 
as we've been in this time of fasting, it says, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. I pray for God's favor and blessing to be upon all of us, to be upon this church so that we can be a great light. How amazing it is to see people come to know Christ as their savior. And I pray that you all would seek that in your life as well. And I wanna pray, and we're gonna get into our, our sermon today. We're not gonna be long, but I just feel like this is something that God has placed on my heart. Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord, for being with us today. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just ask you right now to descend upon us, Lord. Break down every wall of separation between us and you. I pray, God, that you'd fill me, speak through me, guide me, Lord, that the words that I speak would not be my own or out of any kind of creative impulse or, or pride, God, but it would be directly from you that it would minister grace and hope to those standing here today. God, that faith would increase. You give us understanding, Lord. You make us an even greater threat against the enemy kingdom because we're walking in greater faith. That your signs and wonders and miracles, Lord, would overflow in our lives because we're no longer walking in fear but in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I just thank you for what you're about to do. Lead us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. So again, we began this teaching series on fasting. And just to kind of catch you up, last week we saw that before Jesus ever went into the desert to fast and to pray to be tempted of the devil, we had to read about his baptism. And what happened at his baptism is he made a decision to completely surrender himself over to the will and care of God. He lived a pretty normal Jewish life up until this point, and he made a decision that from this day forward, my entire life is going to be lived for the glory of God, that he's going to get to decide, to drive, to choose, to lead, and to guide. And when he made that decision, he was baptized in water by John the Baptist, and then the Holy Spirit fell down from heaven and anointed him with the power and the authority he needed to carry out God's plan for his life. And we recognize that until we have that anointing, we receive the anointing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living in us, we don't have the power or the authority to wage war against the enemy. And so we need that filling. We need to seek the presence of God and live in the presence of God in the Holy Spirit to be able to win and wage successful warfare against the enemy. And after he was baptized in the Spirit, uh, he was led into the desert for battle. And that's when he began to fast and pray. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is not only are we given the power and the authority, but through the Spirit, he gives us weapons of warfare. We don't just aimlessly walk through this life wondering if we're going to beat the devil at, you know, and, and overcome his schemes. God has given us weapons to wage in our lives to ha live successful Christian lives against the enemy's tactics and warfare. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Paul writes to the church of Corinth. He says this, We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. God has given you divine weapons of Holy Spirit-empowered weapons that guarantee victory against the enemy. The problem is, is we don't know what they are, and we don't know how to use them most of the time. And here in this story, we can see that one of the weapons that Jesus impl implemented while he was fasting and praying or was 
just that, fasting and praying. Jesus was being tempted and being attacked by the prince of demons, the devil himself. The full onslaught of hell was against Christ, and he did not try to become more religious. He didn't try to attend more services. He didn't try to do more spiritual things. He simply emptied himself of himself, got before God, put all of his dependence on the Lord, and used fasting and prayer as a mechanism to overthrow the enemy. And what we have to realize today is that there are some spiritual battles you cannot win in your current state or current level of faith. There are some spiritual battles you will face that you cannot win at your current level of faith. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 17, uh, there's this account where the, this man brings his son to the disciples because he was sick. He was having seizures. And they brings the, the, the men to the, or the boy to the disciples to be healed. And the disciples begin to pray that they do what they did. Jesus had already given them authority and power to heal the sick, to cast out devils. And here they're just doing what they had been doing. But they could not heal the boy. They couldn't cast the devil out. They couldn't heal the disease. And so the, the man was getting frustrated. So he took his son to Jesus. He said, well, if they can't do it, surely Jesus can. So he took his son to Jesus, and Jesus cast this spirit out. The boy was set free and completely healed instantaneously. And the disciples went to Jesus and, and said, Lord, why couldn't we cast the devil out? Why couldn't we heal this boy? And Jesus said, you faithless generation." Another translation would say, O ye of little faith. You see, many of us believe we have great faith. And it's because we've maybe been to church our whole lives. We've studied the word of God. We've been to life group after life group. And we think we've been doing this thing for enough, for a length of years now that we just have this super giant faith. The disciples probably thought that too. They were walking with Jesus. They had authority in Christ. They had cast out devils and had healed the sick before. But here's a moment where they were encountering a battle that they could not win. You see, there are some battles that you can't win. And this battle wasn't even their battle to fight. This battle was between the father and the son and, and the enemy. But because they began to intercede for this boy, it became their fight. And the reality is, is that the winning of this fight ended up being determined by their level of faith. And they didn't have it. They didn't have it. And so Jesus is telling them, you did not have enough faith. But he says something remarkable. He says, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could speak to a mountain and move it from its place. Nothing would be impossible with you. And then again, they said, well, then, Lord, why could we not cast out this demon? And he answers the question in Matthew 17, 21. He says this, how be it, this kind goeth not out by what? Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. What's he saying to us? He's saying, there is a certain level of faith you have that's not enough for this battle. But if you want to get to where you need to be to win this battle, you need to do something else. You need to pray and you need to fast. What does prayer and fasting do? It empties ourselves of everything that we're dependent on that's not God. 
We empty ourselves of everything we're dependent on that's not God. And James, James says, when you ask God for anything, make sure your faith is in him and do not doubt because those that doubt are like a ship that's tossed around in the waves in the sea. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. When you pray and you ask, do not doubt. Have your faith totally in him. And I believe Jesus is carrying that same idea here is that there's a certain level of faith you need to overcome certain battles in your life. And the only way to get there is not by becoming more spiritual and doing more godly things, giving more to the church or serving more or busying yourself with more Christian activity. The way to get to that next level of faith is to empty yourself of everything you've been depending on and depend wholly and completely to the Lord. Pray to seek him, to seek his presence, to get hungry for God, to be emptying of yourself, to be filled up by him. Fasting is more than a religious exercise. It is a gateway to experience more of God in your life and increase your faith by increasing your dependence on the Lord. And with more faith comes more authority and a greater ability to release the power of God into the world. Now, one of the things that I want you to understand with faith is just because we fast and pray does not necessarily mean we will always see the results that we want. There are many times where I've prayed and I've seen the sick healed. I, just recently, uh, I was working a job and, and uh, a guy I had no intents and purposes of really having conversation with was able to lead him to Christ uh, right in the front yard as we were building a ramp at his, at his uh, house and with um, the part-time job that I do. And after we prayed, um, he was telling me, I uh, really received a word of knowledge that his elbow was messed up. And he told me that he was in a bad accident and had his elbow reconstructed. And because of that, one arm was an inch and a half shorter than the other. And uh, he was showing me, he was like putting his hands up and it was like this, it was remarkable. But I knew God was doing something in that. So I just put my hands on him and I prayed and I commanded that arm to come out in the name of Jesus. And it felt like he was pushing against me. But by the time we were done praying, his arms were completely identical. Both were, he stretched out his arm. It was an amazing thing. I've seen this. I've experienced these things. Other times I've prayed and nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. And I feel like I'm doing the same thing. There, there, there's nothing else that I know to do but to pray in the name of Jesus. And the reality is that there are things that are going on in the spirit realm we're not always aware of. There are times Jesus went to a village, he went to his hometown, and it says he couldn't do many signs and wonders or miracles because of the lack of faith in others. Sometimes we don't get what we ask for because of the lack of faith of those we're praying for. Sometimes it's because of a lack of faith in our own lives. Sometimes it's because of the work of the enemy and other things that need to transpire. What I'm trying to encourage you this morning is when we fast and we pray and we seek the Lord, our responsibility is not to guarantee the outcome of what we're praying for. Our responsibility is trusting God no matter what, being faithful no matter what, and trusting him with the outcome. And if it doesn't go the way we asked, do we quit? No. We continue on. We continue praying. We continue seeking. We continue going after it. If I had stopped the first time that I asked God to heal somebody and it didn't work, if I never did it again, I wouldn't have seen all the other healings that I've been able to see. I was listening to a uh, podcast this week, a man named Todd White uh, he is a, has a remarkable ministry. He was saved from drugs. God miraculously delivered him, and he's just been on fire. He does street evangelism. You can catch a lot of his videos on YouTube where he just goes out and he prays for people, and they get healed, they get saved. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. 
and he's becoming well known for his, just the way he loves on people and the way God's working through him. And uh, he was being interviewed in this podcast, and the interviewer asked him, you know, how did this journey happen? How did you go from being the, this drug addict to being this, this uh, guy known for miracles and ministry and evangelism and now having a school that teaches people how to walk in the Spirit? And he said, you know, uh, when I was saved, I just believed God's word and what it said. It said Jesus heals. Jesus does miracles. And uh, we were at a meeting, and this pastor like laid hands on this guy, and the guy was healed. And I was just like, man, this is awesome. And then I read in the Bible where Jesus didn't just heal in church meetings. He healed on the street. So I thought, you know, I, I would take what I see here and experience here out into the street and, and see what happens. And he started praying for everybody, everybody he knew. And he said, I prayed for you know, people every day, multiple times a day, for weeks and weeks on end, and nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened. And he said, my wife even like, called me on the phone one time and said, hey, we need to get groceries, but if you're going to do that praying stuff, I'm not going to go with you. I, I'm not going to go with you ever again. I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm tired of all this. You're, you're, just, you're off your rocker. You're losing your marbles. You know, that, that you continue to pray. And he's like, you know, I just convinced in my heart that this is something God wanted to do, that God was good. And so after that conversation, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stay faithful. I'm gonna keep going for it. And then I went and we were grocery shopping and, and I received a word of knowledge for this guy. I didn't even know that's what it was. I just had a thought that I couldn't shake. And so I went up to him and I said, hey, I, I feel like you have this issue and you got this pain in your body. And the guy's like, yeah. Yeah, I do. It's like, well, man, I think God's going to heal you. Can we pray? And he's like, yeah. And so he prayed, and the guy was instantly healed. And I was like, and I, I was hooked. I was like, I couldn't go back, you know. And so if he had quit after the first 70 to 100 people he prayed for, he would have never been able to experience the ministry that he has now. And I say that to encourage you, don't quit. Don't give up because you don't see the results right away. Don't say, well, I tried it. It didn't work. I guess that's not for me. God wants to build your faith. And the way our faith gets built is often he sends us through a trial to test how serious we really are in being solely dependent on him. How much do we really trust him? In, uh, in Matthew, as we get into the story in the text today, Matthew chapter 4, I want you to see something right off the get-go. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says this. It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the what? Into the where? Is the wilderness a nice place? No, it's not. He was baptized and anointed and filled with the Spirit. And he didn't go from that moment to becoming hailed as King of the Jews, to miracles and signs and wonders. He went to a nasty place to be tested and to be tried. Before Jesus ever worked a miracle, he was tried and he was tested. And this is where many of us stop and we give up because we seek God and we seek God and we go into a time of testing because God wants to see our resolve. He wants to refine us, to raise us up. And we think, man, this stinks. This is too hard. It's not what I thought. We give up, we turn around, and we walk away. And we continue to live the same mundane Christian life week after week after week. But God has another plan for your life. God has another plan for your life. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. 
For 40 days and nights he fasted and he became hungry. And during that time, the devil came and said unto him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to be made into loaves of bread. He's sent into the desert to face his temptation, to face his trial, to refine him, to show how dependent he really was. And this is the first attack that we see on the Lord. He says, the enemy says, tell these stones to be made bread. And I think many of us, as we look at the story, we read it, the typical mind is to say, well, the first attack is about you know, turning stones into bread, which is true. But there's actually another attack underneath the surface of this attack. There's another attack under the, the surface of this temptation. This is actually not the first attack about stones being made into bread. The first attack comes in to question or the question of what Satan actually asks Jesus. If we want to really understand what is empowering each temptation Jesus went through, each struggle that he went through, we have to look at what is forming or empowering these temptations. And the first thing is in the question Satan asks. What's he say? Let's throw that verse back up there. During that time, the devil came and said to him, what? If you are what? If you are the son of God. This is so key and so vital. And I believe some, God wants to set somebody free here today. Because your identity will determine the life you choose to lead. What you identify will determine a lot about you. We hear this a lot when it comes to deal in the news dealing with the sexuality of people. What, how do you identify yourself as a boy, as a girl, as a male, as a female, as something in between, flip a coin and, and whatever you feel like today. Uh, you know, this is kind of like what we hear in the news. What we identify ourselves to be is what often we try to become. It's often what we had tried. This attack forms every other attack against Christ and every other attack against us. Your identity. If you don't know who you are, you will act as if you don't know who you are. And this is so vital. Uh, when uh, my wife and I, we've been seeking the Lord throughout our marriage about how to be good parents. Often we pray, God revealed to us how to be good parents. We read devotionals about parenting. We try to read good marriage books because we want to live a good example. And we don't always get it right. There are times we lose a temper. We say mean things. I know, shocker, you know. But um, there, there are times we just, we just do. But one of the things that I, I've just really been encouraged, and my wife is really great at this, and I'm kind of learning along the way. But when our kids do something wrong, just the other day, one of our, one of our kids um, lied about something. And the normal reaction is, oh, they lied to me. How dare they? I'm your father. How do you lie to me? I'm your mother. How, how dare you lie? Lying is so evil. You know, and, and it's easy to then say, you know, you know what, what do you call somebody who lies? You call them a liar. You're a liar, you little liar. You know, it's like the, the flesh starts to come out. And you want to start accusing them and, and making them feel ashamed of what they did. But that's not what our Heavenly Father does for us. That's not what God does for us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, this, that verse is so revolutionary. It's so revolutionary. And it's begun to kind of influence how we try to talk and speak to our kids. And so in that moment, as the lie was revealed, 
We, instead of berating the child or, or telling them how wicked and sinful they are and making them feel horrible about themselves and, and beating them down, what we try to do is we try to speak life over them. And we say, you know what? That's not who you are. You're not a liar. That's out of your character. That, that's not, you're honest. You don't act like that. That's not your character. And, and when you do that, you're opening yourself up for hardship later in life. Anytime you step out of who you are, out of your character, you're opening yourself up for hardship and pain. So don't act like something you're not. You're a child of God. And we begin to speak this over them because we can either speak life and help them aspire to be what they actually are and what God intends and created them to be, or we can speak death and condemn and rebuke them and make them feel like garbage, empowering them to even act like garbage. What you identify with will determine the kind of person you become. And the words that we speak often reveal the very things we feel and how we identify about ourselves. And in Matthew chapter 3, at Jesus' baptism, God, even before Jesus goes into the desert to be tempted by the devil, God speaks to Christ to affirm his identity. And this is what he says when he comes up out of the water. In verse 17 of chapter 3, it says, A voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. This is my son in whom I am well Please, this is what the father says to his son. This is what the father says to his children. This is why it's so vital you know who you are in Jesus Christ, that your identity is in him because you have to know your father is well pleased with you. Your father delights in you. Your father loves you. Your father likes you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to spend time with you. He is holding every tear of yours in a little bottle in his hands. He's counted every hair on your head. Your father is so interested in you because every aspect of your life gives him joy and pleasure. And when we think of, of God, often we think the reverse. We think he's ashamed of me. He doesn't, I mean, he's upset with me. I've made all these mistakes. But no, your father in heaven is speaking over you. I am well pleased with you. I love you. You bring me great joy. This is what he does and what he's doing to Christ and what he's speaking over you. And I believe some of you need to get this in your spirit this morning. What he's trying to say is, look, when you step out of my will for your life, you are acting out of character. It's, I don't judge you. I'm not criticizing you. I'm not condemning you. I'm just telling you, when you label yourself anything other than what I've said about you, it's out of character, and it's an open door for the enemy to come in and get you to question your identity. And when you question your identity, when you compromise your identity, you open the door for the devil to compromise every other area of your life. When you allow your identity to be compromised, you open a door for the devil to come in and compromise every other aspect of your life. If you let yourself label, if you label yourself as a person with a short temper, guess how you're gonna act? Like a person with a short temper. If you label yourself as an addict, guess what you're gonna always believe about yourself? You'll never be free. If you label yourself as an angry person, You'll never experience joy. If you label yourself as a depressed person, you'll never have peace. If you label yourself as a person with anxiety, you'll never experience the peace and the shalom that God wants to bring into your life. How you allow yourself to be labeled, 
how you allow the enemy to label you, how you allow the enemy to get you to compromise your identity will open a door for him to bring attack. And the longer that door remains open, the closer you get to going to agreement with that lie. When you become into agreement with that lie, you empower it and it now begins to dominate your life. It's an open door. Your identity is so important. And until you find your identity in Christ, in Christ alone, you will not be able to not only identify the enemy's attack, but be able to rise above it. When he begins to whisper, if you're a child of God. What do you mean, if? I am a child of God. Which means you have no accusation to bring against me because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I mean, think about the love of God. Think about what God has done in your life, right? When, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for sin, not just some sin. He paid for all the sin, right? And this is something we don't often think about, but we have to wrap our minds around it, right? God lives and exists outside of time. We exist moment by moment, which means we exist in the present. This is all we know. We can think about the past. We can dream about the future, but we only exist in the present. God exists in all places at all times. He's in the past, the present, and the future. He knows everything that's gonna be done, and your life is already written. The Bible says it's appointed man wants to die. God knows the day of your death, and he's already there. God knows everything about your life. He knows every cell that's going to, uh, every skin cell that's going to shed off your body. He knows every aspect of your life. Everything you will ever do, he is already aware of it. A comedian uh, a pastor once said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? And it's kind of a humorous thing to think about. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing you do will ever make him go, huh, I didn't see that one coming. You know, you know, it just doesn't happen, right? Everything you've done. So think about this. Every mistake you will ever make in your life is covered by the blood of Jesus. Every mistake. Jesus took your sin and Paul in Galatians says, if you are in Christ, you've put on Christ like putting on new clothes. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see those moments living out of character. He sees the glory and perfection and righteousness of his dear son. He set you free from the stigma of everything you've ever done or will do to empower you to live up to who you are in Jesus Christ. That's so powerful. It's so powerful. That's why we worship. That's why we lift our hands. That's why we praise. Because our God has set us free and who the Son has set free is free indeed. Who are you today? You are a dearly loved child of God who God gets great joy from. He loves you. He's proud of you. He wants relationship with you. Why does God fulfill? Because he's everything we need and more. And when we run to the world, we're missing out on the very thing that God has created us for. And that's finding perfection in him. Jesus had his 
identity confirmed because God knew the trial he was about to walk into. And when you begin this faith journey, you begin to do battle against the enemy, you begin to seek the presence of God, you have to know what the Bible says about you. You have to know what it means to be a child of God. Look at what Jesus replies to the enemy after he says that if you are the son of God, make these stones to become loaves of bread. In verse four, it says, Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Why is it so vital to know your identity? It's because if you compromise your identity, you will compromise your life. And Jesus knew his identity, but what's he say? He says, you don't know the scriptures. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Of God. Jesus replies to the devil using the authority of the Word of God. How do you know what your identity is, what it means to be a child of God, if you don't know the Scriptures? If you're not living on the Word? Here, Jesus is famished. He's been living in the desert for 40 days and nights. He hasn't eaten or drank a thing. He's weak beyond weak. We don't even understand. We get, we get hangry whenever we haven't yet eaten lunch on time. When we don't get our Snickers when the alarm goes off, right? We don't know what it means to be 40 days and nights without food or water. Jesus is on the verge of death in this desert because of the lack that he has been putting his body through. And the devil says, look, if you're the son of God, use your authority, make those stones into bread and feed yourself. And Jesus responds, he says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There is a word that God wants to breathe into you that will sustain you. There is a bread, the word of the the Lord that wants to breathe into you to keep you going, to strengthen your faith, to encourage your dependence to be totally on God himself. And there's really two aspects of the word. There's the Holy Scriptures, the the word of God that's breathed out by God. And and all of this is profitable for instruction, for reproof, for correction and righteousness. The Bible is the foundation of our faith. Everything we believe comes from the Word of God. The Spirit of God will even illuminate us to understand the truth of God so that we can know it. In Psalm 119.11, it says, I've hidden His Word in my heart that I might not sin against God. The Word of God, the written Word of God is so vital. But even more than the written Word of God, there's a promise in Joel and confirmed in Acts 2 that in the last days God would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh and His sons and daughters. Is there a son and daughter in this room? Son or daughter of the Most High God will do what? Dream dreams and see visions. They will prophesy. So God doesn't just want us to have the Word of God, the living Word of God as the foundation of our faith. God wants to turn every child, every son, every daughter into a walking prophet. To have a personal relationship with God where you're hearing his voice and you're living a supernatural life. Where you're speaking into the world and you're creating miracles. You're moving mountains because of his work in your life. Jesus here is saying you can't live on flesh alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, both written and both spiritually inspired. How? Without knowing the word, do we test the spirits? How will you know between the truth and a lie? How will you know when the enemy is trying to get you to compromise your identity? How will you know? 
when he's trying to get you to make a decision that's outside of your character as a son of God or a child of God? How will you know if you don't know the word? See, one of the reasons why we fall prey to the enemy's schemes and we fail in our Christian lives is because we don't know the word of God. We're not living on the word of God. We're too busy eating bread and carbs and eating at the buffet table, and we're not eating at the buffet of the Lord. Psalm 23 says, The Lord has prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The enemy has a table too. And on his table is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the choice is between God's table and the enemy's table, where we're going to eat. And Jesus is saying, if we're going to live successful, if we're going to live, we need to eat from the Lord's table. We need to be living on the word of God. And knowing the scripture doesn't come by happenstance. It comes with careful study and meditation as you allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten you to the truth. Something that just kind of stuck, struck me as I was studying for this message and something the Spirit spoke to my heart is really in the, the, the temptation of Christ. Was it wrong for Jesus to be hungry? No. He was fasting. Of course he's going to be hungry. Was it wrong for Jesus to want to eat bread? No. God made bread. God made the things to make bread. There was nothing wrong with that. What was wrong is the temptation of the enemy was to get Jesus in pride to try to prove Satan wrong. Of course, I'm the son of God. Here, I'll show you. He was trying to leverage his pride against him. And this is what the enemy does to us in different situations. And what God spoke to my heart as I was meditating on this passage, he revealed to me that we actually eat a lot of rocks. I mean, if you think about the, what he's saying, he's like, look at this stone, make it into bread. Jesus had the power to turn the stones into bread. And we turn stones into bread all the time. You know, what's wrong with a stone? Nothing. God made stones to be stones. But when we take something God didn't intend and turn it into something else, that's where the problem happens. That's, that's where the problem happens. When we take what's meant to be a stone and we turn it into something else, that's where the problem happens. We look at anything in this life. We look at sex. Is anything wrong with sex? No, God made it. He made it to be beautiful, to bring the world to life. But when we take sex in its context and we turn it into something else, that's where the problem happens. When we take relationships in the way God designed relationships and we turn it into something else, that's where the problem happens. Anytime we take a stone and we turn it into something else, that's where the dysfunction happens. And we do this all the time. You see, the deal with rocks is it doesn't matter how many rocks we turn into bread. A rock is always a rock. And many of us will continually have a mouthful of rocks until our eyes wake up to the truth. And we open our eyes to what the Word of God is telling us of how we should live. And by doing so, we'll finally be able to start winning these wars against the enemy. In 2 Timothy 2.15, let me encourage you with this word. Paul tells his protege, Timothy, to work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly explains the word of truth. If we want to get out from underneath the accusation of the enemy, away from the shame, in the guilt. We gotta get into God's word. We have to study it. We have to listen, learn to listen for his voice. 
to hear him speak, recognize his voice, so that we know that we're living in a way that honors the Lord. And then we'll have no reason to be ashamed because we'll be living on the word of God. We'll not just be eating bread, but we'll be living off of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And sometimes in order to get to that place where we hunger for God more than we hunger for the different varieties of bread in this world, the different stones that we've been eating on, is we have to fast. We have to break away from the routine and the mundane and allow God to realign ourselves and our spirits with him. Jesus was able to avoid giving in to pride and eating a mouthful of rocks by not only knowing who he was, but by knowing the word of God and discerning between the truth and a lie, between God's will and Satan's agenda. Now, some of you here today, I know even in my own life, you could say, you know what, honestly, Pastor Joey, I've been eating a steady diet of rocks. If you're honest, you'd admit that one, you're not living or even pursuing a spirit-filled life. Or two, you just don't know the scriptures. It's not been that important to you to study the word of God, to get to know him in a deeper way, to learn to hear his voice and recognize when he's speaking. And so the abundant life and the fulfillment that you've been searching for in this desert land has been consuming rocks. And then the abundant life's been held at a distance because you've been headed in the wrong direction. It's my belief today that God wants to take you deeper. He wants to restore your identity. He wants to open your eyes to the truth. He wants to get you off a diet of rocks and put you on the living bread, which is the word of God, Jesus Christ. And today he wants to begin that simply with your agreement and submitting to him and to his will. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for just a moment. We go into a time of ministry and response. The question I have for you today is, are you hungry for the Lord? Are you hungry for more of God in your life? Do you want more? Do you want to live a victorious life over the enemy? Do you want to stop living and feeling weak and powerless? Do you want to stop eating rocks? Are you ready for God to realign your spirit, to breathe new life into you, and to set you on a path to live according to who you are in Jesus Christ? Are you in a place where you're ready to know what it is to be a child of God? To know who you are for the first time maybe in your life? You've grown up your life and you thought, you know, I don't even know who I am. I don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm going. Those answers are answered. Those questions are answered when you discover what it means to be a child of God. God's created you for a purpose. He's got a job for you to do. He has plans for your life. And he's ready to birth that in you this morning. I don't know what's going on in your heart, but I know the Spirit of God is here. He's speaking. And I believe that he's creating a hunger. I believe he's birthing new vision. I believe there's somebody here that's hearing God's voice for the first time. He's speaking. You feel like you have a weight on your chest. You're being overwhelmed and you're kind of nervous about it. You're kind of afraid and you don't really know what to do with it. But I know God is speaking. And maybe he's telling you, you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. 
You need to give your heart to him. Maybe he's saying you need to rededicate your life because you've wandered away. You've allowed the enemy to change your diet into rocks and then thus has caused you to lose your joy. I don't know. But whatever God is doing, in just a moment, when we stand, I'm going to invite you to come forward and kneel down and pray. Or come and see me and we'll pray together. And we'll allow the Spirit of God to begin to break down those strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. They have divine power. We can trust the Word because it's breathed out by God. Maybe you're here today and you're hungry for more. You just don't know where to begin. You don't know where to begin. Jesus said, anyone who lacks wisdom, ask the Father and He'll give it to you. He gives wisdom liberally to those who ask. Come and seek. Maybe you've not been fasting and you know there's things in your life, even now, that are in the way between you hungering for God and hungering for the world. Come lay yourself down. Surrender those things and commit yourself for the next 40 days to pursue the heart of God and the presence of God in your life. Maybe you have a health issue. There's pain in your body. You have a sickness. You need prayer. Come forward. We'll be here to pray. Maybe God's spoken to you, did something in your life, and you want to share a testimony and encourage the church. The microphone is alive and down here. We'll wait on you to receive that. But whatever the Spirit of God is doing in your life, when I get done praying, my wife begins to sing. You come forward and you respond to what God is doing in your life. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for everything we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for what it means to be a child of God. God, I just speak a rebirth in the hearts of people here today about what it is to be a child of God. God, I speak against all guilt and condemnation. I speak against every false lie, every false accusation, every false label the enemy's been able to use to compromise their identity this morning. And maybe for years. And I just call forth their true identity in Jesus Christ. Where there's been guilt, God, I pray right now in Jesus' name, you release peace and joy and hope. Where there's pain and struggle, God, I just pray right now that you release your peace and joy. God, your presence would fall. God, for those here that are ready for more, that want to be baptized in the Spirit, God, I pray against all fear and doubt. And Holy Spirit, as we go into this time of ministry, you would have your way. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand up. As God moves on your heart, you come.